Hello there, everybody. This is Dr. Cindy Banier, candidate for Congress here in Florida's Congressional District 19. And I am happy to be here with you online, sharing my thoughts and insights on my podcast here, which is called Dr. Cindy Speaks. And this is our special series called Musings of a Self-Isolated Candidate. And that is me coming live to you from my office, um, my bedroom, because that is where now I have to conduct all of my campaigning, all of my business, and all of my child rearing, that's right, from the love and comfort of my very own home. So I am happy to be here with you today and sharing some of those insights about what I saw going on today and what's going on in our political life. And uh, I have also a very special guest with us here today, and I am going to uh, let him come on here, and uh, we're going to say hello to him. So let's see if we can get him connected. Hello. Hello there. Eddie, are you on? Yes. Is it going through? Yeah, we can hear you, Eddie. Hi. Nice to hear from Hi. you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm a little cooped up, but I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of like a lot of us, right? We're cooped up yeah. in our house. So um, before I give the, the floor to you, we're going to ask some questions to Eddie to share about what his experiences are so far. Let me tell you a little bit about who Eddie is. Uh, Eddie is one of uh, my former students at Florida Gulf Coast University, and he is actually serving in the role of campaign coordinator for me. And now he can add remote campaign coordinator to his job title and description. Eddie was, uh, like I said, a student of mine a couple years ago. He was a very much a standout student, which, by the way, is pretty interesting and hard to do because the classes I teach at uh, FGCU are gen ed courses. So you get a mi mix match of uh, students who are there with varying levels of interest. And they're rather large courses for what we do. They're, you know, 50 students. So really to be a standout student in one of those courses is is hard. And I have maybe one or two a semester. And Eddie is one of those students who really stood out during his time at FGCU, but then you know, was a standout on campus and always very involved. So when I decided to launch my campaign, he was on board and excited. And so he served a very important role of also helping to coordinate me and my schedule and what's going on with the campaign, but also to be a bridge to the other students at FGCU. So a couple things uh, that are going on with um, Eddie as well is he has been caught up in you know, like us all, this corona outbreak, coronavirus outbreak. And uh, he's got a couple interesting considerations around that. And I'm hoping that he'll share his thoughts on this. And this is not going to be scripted for him because I just asked him to join us. But I know that as a student, as a graduating student, he's probably got some very interesting things to think about. So first, Eddie, is there anything aside from that that I missed that you would want to share with the the audience here. So a little bit about yourself beside that you were one of my star students. Well, first off, thank you. <laughs> um, aside from that, there I am a senior majoring in political science at Florida Gulf Coast University. Uh, like Dr. Banye said, I came onto her team um, when she first started running. And we've been working, coordinating with our volunteers uh, over the past few months. And now everything has kind of been thrown through a loop with the introduction of the coronavirus into the United States. Um, and things have been hectic, to say the least. Uh, everything at, at the university has been very unorthodox so far. Uh, we are seeing mass people in mass just moving out of the area they're going back home i myself had to go back to tampa because they were encouraging people to leave the dorms um and the university is essentially a ghost town right now because they're sending most of the faculty and staff home as well yeah yeah you're absolutely right so uh for those of you that are not up to speed on what is happening in the florida university system last week Wednesday, 
we got a message from the president of Florida Gulf Coast University that came down from what we call the Board of Governors in the state of Florida that all universities, public universities across the state of Florida are to be shut down on campus, but held virtually for two weeks after that. So we had just come off spring break. And so we were then forced to over a very short period of time, by the way. So we got that email on Wednesday and they told us that campus was closing Sunday. So we had to get all of our items in order and head for the hills. And oh, by the way, every course is now a virtual course at least for the next two weeks. Uh, uh, actually, it's for the rest of the semester now. That's true. So that's yeah, the next is, part yeah. of it. So that that came down yesterday. Yeah. So now yesterday, what we heard from the state of Florida was that, and then was told to us by our president at the university was that yes, through the rest of the semester, we are have to have our classes uh, online. Everybody has to vacate the campus, the dorms, unless they really have no other place to go. They haven't quite figured out how that uh, is going to shake out, but they've cleared out the dorms for the most part. But Eddie, as a graduating senior, is going to be affected by this in another way that is pretty heartbreaking for students who are ending their academic career at the universities this semester, and that is that commencements across the state of Florida are being canceled. So Eddie, can you just tell us a little bit about how that particular piece of it is making you feel or how your family's reacted to that? So personally, for me, it wasn't as big of a deal because I personally am not big on um, big celebrations like that. Um, so for me, um, it was, I, I'm not big on the big crowds and big celebrations, all that sort of stuff. So for me, it wasn't as big of a deal as it is for, say, first generation students or students who have been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, on the other hand, I have a younger sister who's graduating high school. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't received word on her graduation yet, but we have a feeling it's going to be canceled. Um, I plan on pursuing a master's or a PhD at some point too, so it's not the end of the road for my academic career, um, which is also why I'm not heartbroken over it. Um, but for my sister, it's the end of her high school. It's the culmination of the K through 12 system. Uh, so for her, I would say that it's um, it's more of a heartbreak for her, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, let's talk about the K to 12 system for a moment too <laughs> while we're at it. So we also got word yesterday that the K to 12 system across the state of Florida is now going to be shuttered until April 15th and starting tomorrow in our school district here in Lee County, we are going to be issued Chromebooks because starting on March 30th, they are going to have virtual classrooms, which is going to be very fascinating for my children who are in first grade and fourth grade. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, and I, you know, and I have seen a lot about those high school students, those high school seniors with things like prom, um, you know, last sporting events for students who had been involved in all four years of their career, high school career in certain sports, missing out on all those honors. So, you know, for me, when I think about those things too, it's, it's, those are our kind of cultural benchmarks too, right? So there's a lot of things that are going on with this coronavirus that are, you know, heartbreaking and personal, but we're really talking about our entire lives being upended in pretty short order. And entire groups of people are missing out on these major components of their life. And I'm at least at this point glad that that's what we're worried on, worried about, because I feel like there's a lot more problems coming down the line for us. So at least I guess we can have some time to mourn the loss of those events. Um, but Eddie, tell me, just going back to being a university student here during these times, is there anything that you're kind of worried about in terms of like the quality of your classes or your, you know, your job prospects? I know you said you're looking at um, 
you know, going on to graduate school, but are there any things that you kind of see or heard about you taking your next steps that um, have the coronavirus outbreak worried, worrying you? Yeah, uh, definitely. I would say that uh, with the coronavirus outbreak, I'm a little worried about job prospects and the like. I mean, I was expecting to have the next two months to go back and really start working on different things, such as really fleshing out my resume with some of my mentors uh, that are on campus and working with people on um, last few things before I graduate, getting set up for the following group of students to take over, so on and so forth. Uh, and now it's kind of, everything's up in the air, nobody knows what's going on, um, except, I mean, the faculty and staff are doing a fantastic job uh, really trying to get ahead of this. And the students, it's a mixed reaction. I'm seeing some students still going on their spring breaks. I'm seeing some students uh, social isolating or social distancing. Uh, so it's, we're getting a mixed reaction from people on campus because some people don't care at all and some people are acting like it's the end of the world. There's not a lot of that happy medium that are being precautious and not freaking out. Wow, yeah, that's um, probably somewhat reflective of the rest of the broader community as well. <laughs> um, I think I hope I think there's maybe some more folks in the middle of that. You know, let's just take it take it easy. But um, I feel like people are either heeding the warnings or completely disregarding it at this point um, to the peril of all of us as we'll see shortly. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that that insight. You know, we are in a very unprecedented time with this and something that keeps going through my mind and not to totally bum you out, Eddie, but students who graduate college at, during a recession uh, have diminished lifelong earnings. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not. That's wonderful. <laughs> now, now you have another thing to um, worry about. So sorry about that. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's true. It's true. So, um, you know, it's kind of one of the things where everything in life is an, an accident of time and space where, yes. you know, there are things that we don't really get to control. I mean, we can control things within our, our life a little bit. There are things that we can do, you know, to make ourselves look certain ways or act certain ways or, you know, think or be educated in certain ways. But in a lot of circumstances, there are things that are happening around us that are just completely out of our control. And this is exactly one of those examples. Like no one anticipated that they would be graduating to the largest global pandemic uh, in modern history um, and all of the economic consequences for that. Um, and, you know, knowing that a lot of times what ends up happening with, with students who are graduating there is that there are not any jobs in the field that they are looking to graduate and get into. And instead they take something that's a lower rung or whatever they can get at the time. And then they may never get back on that career trajectory, which is, which is another tragedy and another layer to the future economic components of this coronavirus. And I'm gonna, my cat's coming this way and last night he jumped on it and turned the whole thing off. So, and I ended up just swearing online for about five minutes before I turned my computer back on. <laughs> so Jack is gonna get moved out of my way. Please pardon that. Um, so Eddie, there's another thing I wanted to ask you about because you have a unique vantage point on another component of family life and economics when it comes to the coronavirus outbreak. And that has to do with your dad and his job. So can you give <laughs> us a little update about, well, tell us first, you know, about your dad's job and give us a little update on how things are going in that respect. So my dad works for Disney. Um, he is, uh, he drives cars for them. I'm not going to explain it all here but gist of the story, he drives cars. Uh, he, like the rest of the people working at Disney, are currently all not working because Disney is shut down for the time being. Um, all Disney college program students were sent home, um, and uh, pretty much one of the largest single-site employers in the U.S. is currently shut down. 
So I want to say the number of employees they have is around 75,000 people. Wow. So about 75,000 people don't have work right now. And luckily, my mom is able to do her job from home and work from home. So she's still able to work. But right now, there's my sister and I who are doing our classes online. And then my dad, who's a part-time worker, who doesn't have any hours right now. So he was a part-time, like, hourly employee. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And so when Disney shut down, they were just like, sorry, no more hours. Right. Wow. There, there might be some sort of stimulus or something, but as far as I'm aware, I'm not aware of anything. But again, that could just be me not aware of anything. Well, sure, sure. And I understand that is like, you know, with your parents, it's not necessarily always the biggest topic right. of conversation. No. But just wondering if, you know, thank you for sharing that with us because... Yeah, and I had it. I knew that Disney was a very large employer. Um, I didn't really think about its scope in terms of the whole entire United States, but right. uh, yeah, definitely within the state of Florida, it's massive, and um, it's it's a pretty you know for me when I realized that this was like a really big deal is when Disney was shutting down. It's like wow, if <laughs> if Disney's shutting down, like this is like they're not shutting down for nothing because. Disney is like up and running after a hurricane, you know, three to five days, like tops, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. They're, they shut down for a couple of days for a Cat 5 hurricane. But yeah, then Cat 5. when they're shut down for two to potentially four weeks, they're saying now, you know, things are getting serious. And it's a big bellwether for both the local Orlando economy and the state's economy. So seeing how Disney reacts to events like this. Um, is a big bellwether for understanding how the rest of the state is going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the truth of the matter is, is we're really not going to know exactly how that goes. I, I did see today that they passed uh, some of the coronavirus legislation through that's going to free up testing and things like that. But, um, you know, how much money is going to end up into the pockets of whom... Uh, from the government in terms of helping people get by is still kind of uh, emerging. And um, it's, I think it's the, the scale of it is uh, really daunting, I think, for most people to think about because, and frankly, most of us are just going to be trying to get by day to day. So most, a lot of people are going to have a lot of bandwidth to think about the, <laughs> the scope and magnitude of it. But, um, you know, so those of us that are kind of watching, uh, it's really, um, it's really freaking us out. Let me, let me be, let me go be clear about that. Um, so yeah, so anything else, Eddie, you know, just, you know, taking that unique vantage point that you do have as a student and, you know, the family that you are in, you know, is there anything else when you're thinking about this coronavirus outbreak that is kind of top of mind for you? Uh, well, I have my grandmother who is up in Brooksville, and I am currently not able to go visit her just out of precaution that I don't want to accidentally transmit any virus to her, to her because we don't have testing. Um, we don't know who's a carrier and who's not a carrier because we don't have the tests. So it's... I'm seeing a lot of different things from both my own family and my friends. One of my best friends, her sister is um, currently stuck at home. She couldn't go on a spring break vacation down to the Bahamas with her friend's family because people are still going on vacations against warnings and recommendations from CDC, the government, and the likes. So we really need to be focusing on making sure people are staying home because we don't have the test, because we can't be like South Korea or Japan where we can test people to make sure that they're not, they don't have the virus. It's, we need to be precautious and be ahead of everything that's going on because if we're ahead of everything, then that means less people get sick, less people will die. So let me ask you a question and get ready to share some feelings, okay? <laughs> Okay. An ire, if you will. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, given your vantage point as, you know, a young adult, somebody who's just graduating, kind of looking out across the, the scope of your 
you know, your new adulthood life out of college, right? And watching what had happened, you know, with the coronavirus outbreak in the United States. Is there anything that makes you upset about how things have gone? The denial. Oh, it's going to go away in April when it gets warmer. You know, things like that. The pretending it's not an issue. The Democrats are using coronavirus to take down the president. No, this is a legitimate scientific issue. This is not a political ploy. We need to take issues serious when they are presented. We cannot just spin everything as a political issue. This is why people don't trust the government. This is why people don't trust politicians, because they spin things. Mm -hmm. They don't take action. They don't take things serious when they occur. It's just, oh, this is a political ploy. Oh, this is something they're using to get me out of office. No, it's a serious issue where Americans are going to get sick and potentially die. This isn't something we can pretend isn't real. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like you're, you're pretty disappointed in the, the Trump administration's response to this outbreak. Yes. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> um, I feel the same. Um, I'm very upset to watch so many things unfold so quickly. And knowing, by the way, knowing, by the way, that more than a month ago, the CDC presented to the Trump administration the worst case scenario projections, which were upwards of the high end being 214 million people affected uh, with the disease and about 1.7 million people actually dying from it. And with that, you know, curve, it growing exponentially and essentially collapsing our entire healthcare system. And that was a month ago. That, that report was presented. And I'm pretty upset that knowing what the worst case scenario was and knowing how much less difficult it would be or would have been to take precautionary measures a month ago instead of a week ago um, right. makes me very upset because we are really, and really this, this does get pinned directly back onto Donald Trump directly back on his, not only just his denial, but his insistence on ignorance to keep the numbers low. Right. And his focus on his own reelection, his own popularity and the stock market. Because he doesn't have a robust understanding of how economies work. And because, by the way, so this is like just everything that, everybody's ever complained about Donald Trump coming to a head too. So the Steve Bannon philosophy of putting leadership into cabinet organizations that are designed to be the worst person possible who wants to destroy and undermine that institution is going to get people killed at this point, because we now have the least qualified people running those institutions who have gutted them out, and in many cases kicked out scientists and left vacancies open in you know, lower level parts of the administration who are the functionaries that do things that people need. So we're really looking you know, at massive problems from this, not just in, in the economy is a part of it, but it's going to be widespread across multiple institutions, um, painful for people across the board from everything from jobs to education to housing to health, um, you know, and and I, I it all falls squarely on Donald Trump and his inept leadership in this circumstance. And um I'm not hiding it anymore. I, I wasn't particularly good at hiding it in the beginning. Um, but I mean, we really got to start calling a spade a spade. And I, I feel, I feel bad for people who are in such denial alongside with Donald Trump and his folks uh, that literally only yesterday was he finally tweeting that, oh, this is a real thing and it's a pandemic. I always thought it was a pandemic, you know, like, right. like we're just supposed to believe him, at, you know, when four days before he said it's not real, it's a hoax. 
So right. um, I, I feel bad for the people who have put themselves and their families at risk because they didn't want to listen to experts and scientists and they want to believe it's a conspiracy. I was literally just before we got on this podcast, I was reading a friend's, you know, tweet or not tweet, but Facebook postings about how it just all seems really convenient that it's a, you know, it's a, an election year and it came from China. We had all these problems with China. So clearly it was this Chinese plot and then yes. a, a Democrat credit hoax to blow up something to destroy the economy so that Donald Trump wouldn't get reelected. And, and honestly, the, the mental gymnastics that you have to do to live in that level of denial are astounding to me. Well, we have, we have to look at how it got to that point. I mean, Fox News has been pushing conspiracy theories for as long as I've been alive. I, it's the problem is this is the culmination of the past 30, 40 years of the conservative movement in the United States where they can just say some conspiracy theory that this is a Chinese democratic collusion to prevent Donald Trump from being reelected. And they can get away with it if Tucker Carlson goes on air and says it. They can get away with it when Tom Cotton goes on TV and says, we're going to hit the Chinese back with something because this is their fault. Because people can't accept the blame for something they did, so they have right. to put the blame on someone else. Right, right, exactly. And, and a I, true I, leader doesn't do that. It's Sorry. true, it's a true, a true leader doesn't do that. And the other thing that I saw where people are trying to pretend like coronavirus is not a real thing is like, and I honestly don't know why you would share a meme that's like a photo of a whiteboard. Like it just, I, I just, it's not credible, like in any way, shape or form, but I've seen it shared by multiple people. It's this, and it's like, got these pandemics and the years and they're like, Ooh, look, coincidentally, everyone is a, is a, is a, uh, an election year. Right. And, and it's just, it's just wild to me because these are affecting the entire world. Who, who don't care about our elections. I mean, really, they don't. I mean, it's just, you know, they just right. think that some new, you know, white asshole is going to get elected for the most part. So they're just kind of like, whatever is going to happen, you, you're going to trump all over us anyway. So, right. you know, I mean, really, for real, like the rest of the world, they're not, yep. you know, they're not like, believe it or not, they're not hanging on the edge of our their seats waiting exactly. for us, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, leading up to the election they want to see which which jerk is going to get elected but ultimately it's kind of you know ends up being pretty close to the same thing for most of them they also don't get a vote so you know apathy right. but the they really you know <laughs> they, they didn't make these things on purpose and in fact they had the wrong year SARS was 2003 <laughs> I know I lived through it. So it wasn't an election year. It was just, I mean, they just matched these things up. And so, yeah, you know, how about your friends who are sharing, you know, m pictures of whiteboards and crazy ass memes, because this is how we get dumber um, overall and spread misinformation. So right. anyway, that is the end of my diatribe for today on <laughs> Donald Trump and his inept leadership during this major, major time of crisis to which every single person in this entire country is going to pay the price, literally pay the price out of pocket, out of heart, out of soul for this terrible, terrible leadership and terrible governance of the coronavirus. Um, so mark my words on that. And if you don't believe me now, maybe you'll believe me later. So anyway, thank you, Eddie, for sharing. You're welcome to stay online to, uh, I wanted to pivot just for a few moments to tell everybody about uh, some big things that I've been working on today. And you can chime in when you want, because not only is Eddie just a fantastic guest today, he's actually part of my campaign team. So he can help tell everybody a little bit about what we've been working on. So I think uh, for those of you that have been following my Facebook page, and if you haven't been there yet, I encourage you to go look. It's uh, You can find me at SWFLMOM2020. And that's actually, coincidentally, my Twitter handle 
as well as my Instagram name. So you can find me on all those platforms. You can also find a lot of my posts at hashtag SWFLmom2020. So for those of you that have been following along on my social media, you will have seen that I have been making a big push over the past week or so to get Governor Ron DeSantis to postpone the ballot petitions here in the state of Florida. So for congressional candidates like me, as well as state attorneys, uh, judges, and uh, public defenders, and this is just the elected position ones, not everybody that works in those offices, but they all had to have their qualifying petitions into their local super supervisor of elections by this coming Monday, March 23rd. And it's uh, a little bit of a crazy process. And I will say that it has been what seemingly is purposefully misleading on the Florida Division of Election that's run by the Department of State in Florida, uh, seemingly misleading. Um, I almost want to say they might be trying to keep regular people and grassroots candidates off the ballot. Eddie, does that sound like something that the government and the in the state of Florida would be trying to do? Um, I could, it's very possible, especially after seeing the response to the um, the amendment from the midterm elections for mm -hmm. felons get uh, felons were supposed to get the roads mm -hmm. restored, and now there's a paywall. That's very yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you would see you would say that potentially they may be setting up policy and procedure barriers to keep people out of what would ordinarily be uh, free and fair elections and free and fair um, candidate processes. So the uh, so yeah. So what ended up happening is we're going through and they have these candidate books. If you go on the website for the Florida Division of Elections, and I encourage you to do this, you will see that they have this candidate packet period that goes and it says very clearly on their congressional candidates, April 20th to 24th. But once you start digging into the candidate handbook, and there's actually two candidate handbooks to help explain all of these, you know, hoops they've put in for us to get on the ballot, that you can have, you have to have your petitions into your local state uh, division of elections by March 23rd. And by the way, if you're running as a congressional candidate, you have to put that into the each county that you work in. So Florida Congressional District 19, we're sitting across two counties, that's Lee County and Collier County. So we actually have to batch them up and send them over there. Then by the way, we have to pay that supervisor of elections to verify them. And we have to pay, I believe it's 10 cents a, a petition for them to basically look in the database and say, yes, this person is correct or no, they're not or whatever. Um, which just ends up again being another piddly tax that we have to pay just to try to get on the ballot. Now, if you think about how cumbersome this can be, because of course, like we don't have districts that are well maintained. Now we have the amendment uh, in the constitution in the state of Florida that says that they are supposed to be on what would ordinarily be a natural boundary. So a city or a county kind of line. Um, they often aren't and they are, you know, quite, you know, gerrymandered. Now I know that the League of Women Voters did their best to kind of fix some of these districts, but they end up being quite split up, uh, which is very unfortunate for us all. So for my friend, uh, Alan Ellison, who is running in Congressional District 17, his district goes across nine counties, right? So oh that means that he, if he collected <laughs> petitions in any of those counties that he's gonna have to go and give them there. Now, some people were telling me, oh, you would be strategic, you would pick the biggest one and put it there. But still, you know, it's, it's a silly requirement for us to have to do. By the way, the uh, the amount of petitions that we have to get to get onto the ballot is also very high compared to other states. So um, I am actually, I'll tell you a little bit more about my initiative here, but I'm actually basing the work that I'm doing to try to postpone the ballot petitions based off of what a group of candidates did in New York state. And they, by comparison, only had 
a thousand five hundred something like that petitions that they needed, right? I have to get five thousand and fifty-two good signatures in order to get on the ballot as a congressional candidate. So, you know, they they were even trying to get it. It was just a couple hundred signatures knocked off. And they were successful in getting uh, Governor Cuomo in New York to reduce the amount of uh, petitions they needed to extend the deadline. Oh, actually, he just said, turn in what you have now and you only need 30% of it. Um, and then he reduced the fees overall. So it's, uh, it's very interesting that we have these such high barriers to get in. But um, back, what I was uh, back to what I was saying about the dates being somewhat misleading. You know, I and my team, we had been working this whole time to get the petition. So we were, we were in pretty good shape and we were really looking forward to having these last few weeks leading up to that March 23rd deadline um, to do a big push. Like we had a big Naples uh, St. Patrick's Day parade that was scheduled for uh, Saturday. And I mean, geez, Eddie, I mean, how many, how many events did we have? just um, in the last two weeks here coming up. Exactly. It was one or two at least almost every day. Yeah, um, almost every day. And we have... Sometimes up to three. Yeah, sometimes up to three. And then sometimes we had, you know, simultaneous ones. So we were sending uh, our volunteers to certain events and I was going to certain events or I was splitting time through them. And, you know, we had this amazing core of, I think we have, what is it, 50 names of current students, past students, and other community volunteers that are pretty active. Is that right, Eddie? Sounds about right. Around 50 uh, just different current students, past students of yours that were interested in helping some incredible community-based volunteers that really wanted to come out and help you uh, with your campaign, too. Yeah. And, you know, these are people who are regular people, too. You know, the <laughs> students are just trying to get by and, you know, get excited and involved about in their community and, and learn about this. And uh, a lot of the other folks that I have are, you know, moms like me, too. So getting them to commit is always uh, a challenge because they're, they're busy. And, and really, just over a couple of days, everything fell apart, right? All of the events got canceled. Right. All this, the university got canceled, the schools got closed. So these people who already were giving what limited time they had, had none. And then of course you throw in the whole like, oh my gosh, are we going to be spreading this disease? And, you know, I need to keep myself, you know, safe. You know, Eddie talked about having his uh, elderly grandma and I myself have a child who is recently immune compromised and has an autoimmune uh, disorder. Um, and I don't, want to be exposing myself to bring something potentially back to her as, as well. And uh, so people just started like, just shut everything down. So what we had seen that was supposed to be this big push here at the end ended up being, you know, we, we couldn't get anything. And um, it, we, we got some, you know, over the last, you know, couple of weeks, but not, not nearly as much as we had hoped. So back to the campaign, my other campaign here recently, and that is trying to get Governor DeSantis to postpone that ballot petition deadline, as well as getting him to reduce the amount needed and the filing fee ultimately that we would have to pay if we cannot qualify by ballot petition. Because here's the other thing about it. Our economy is tanking. We're looking at 20% unemployment. The 401ks that everybody had and their, you know, all of their investments are, you know, tanked as well as the stock market has taken major hits. So the ability to raise funds even as a uh, grassroots candidate now is gone, just out the window. You know, we may be able to get a handful of people who are still doing all right. But I mean, I was averaging last time I looked $46 uh, per donation and I had about 500 individual donors. So these are people giving, you know, small amounts, you know, 10, 15, 20, maybe a hundred dollars here because they had a good week, you know, um, that's going to be, that's going to be gone. That's going to be gone. That's the reality of campaigning in 2020. Um, so unless you basically have a pot of money that you already had, you have big, 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 you know, pack backers or, um, you know, you're like Dane, young gun eagle who's got not only all the big pack backers but he's got the republican national committee and the state uh and local republican committees who have donated money just out of the gates to get him 
uh, as a Trump crony into Congress, uh, you know, and so it's going to be it's going to be a wild time. But but I'm a fighter. Always remember that. Right, Eddie? Right. <laughs> Eddie knows this because he gets to hear me say it all the time. But, you know, I am not somebody who's just going to lay down and die. I am not somebody who's just going to go, oh, oh, well, it's too hard for me. No, I figure it out. And I never stop and I never quit and I never fall apart. So this is me just taking that to the next level right now. So I spent the last week not only just um, trying to get uh, Ron DeSantis on Twitter to kind of recognize and see that, uh, you know, that he should do the same thing that the governor in New York has done, which is postpone those ballot petitions. Um, but I've been working to get support uh, from other candidates and leaders around the state of Florida to, uh, to make that happen. So today I submitted a letter to him signed by six other leaders, one of whom was our party chair, our Democratic Party chair here in Lee County, Gabe Spooks, and then um, five other congressional candidates. And this is from across the state of Florida. Uh, we had one additional one sign on, and we have two more that may sign on as well. And we're opening this call up now to any candidate in the state of Florida who is looking at this being an issue for them. We actually have two Republican candidates here in Lee County for uh, under uh, down ballot seats who have called on Ron DeSantis to eliminate the, the ballot petition requirement, um, and, which is also very interesting to me. Um, and uh, so we're opening it up to everybody. So some of the requirements that we have uh, now, because initially we were gonna ask when we thought we were going to be out of this in two weeks, that the um, that the ballot petitions be due May 11th, which is where all the other down ballot candidates petitions are due, and um, so that was the initial ask. Now, what we did is changed it up to them being due within 30 days of the next time that we can have a safe public event, because that's kind of the only way that we're going to be able to do this. So if we get out of it in a month or two months, we still have time to get on the ballot there. Um, otherwise, he could just cancel it. I'm okay with that. Would you be okay with him just canceling it altogether, Eddie? I would be okay with that because I think it removes the paywall. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so that's what we did today. So we sent that out. We did the, uh, the press release. I believe that we should be getting some some media on that and we'll, I'm going to have to check it out because it's just been a couple hours since uh, we had sent that out, but uh, we're going to keep hammering them. We have until Monday, but the other thing about that I wanted to kind of just loop back to on this issue was related to it being somewhat deceptive. Right. And so I actually had a conversation earlier today with another campaign and this candidate is very well known and very organized, uh, has run other campaigns before. They didn't realize that March 23rd was the verification day. Do you find that surprising, Eddie? I do, um, because you should generally be aware of when your petition deadline is. Well, um, sure, but there, uh, some <laughs> people are not, like they're not even worrying about it because they're gonna, they're just gonna pay. That's true. So um, I feel like that's still something you should be aware of because you should be trying to engage with your what you want to be your future constituents. Yeah, so you want to be engaging with your future consistent con constituents and not just worrying about paying a fee to put you on the ballot. That is counterintuitive to getting votes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it was very interesting. It was very interesting um, to have another campaign go, oh, what do you mean March 23rd? And I think that that, you know, that's likely that this this campaign was just going to pay the fee because I know that they've uh, been invested in by both the state and the national party uh, as a as a flippable seat, um, which which is something that we don't have the luxury of in Florida 19. <laughs> um, right. And so for them, you know, $10,440 payment is just another thing that you would do. Now, 
that kind of payment for me, that's going to, that's going to be a, a major component of my finances altogether. So, um, it, it's just, it's, it's a hard thing for me, but I, you know, I think what it is a testament to is that it was made to be purposefully confusing. Um, right. If it's not even a very professional campaign kind of wasn't really clued into the fact that there was a secondary earlier deadline, <laughs> right? You know, right. Um, that basically if you miss, you just have to pay. And then if you can't pay, you just don't qualify. And that's, and that's how they stop people, regular people like you and me, Eddie. And like right. probably a lot of people who are listening to this now or will be listening to this on another day. That's how they stop us from getting on the ballot. They um, use our greenness to the arena. They use our eagerness to do what's right. And they use our, you know, lack of ability to just pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into a bank account against us. Because um, right. they really don't, they don't want us there. They don't. Um, and that's very sad. It's very sad to me because I am absolutely running because I think regular people need to be there, not just to be represented. Um, you know, like I talk about running as a mom and like, you know, and a woman, right. That I am, you know, serving that role of representation of that voice. Right. I think that's, right important. But here's the thing. We got millionaires. Most of Congress, you know, is filled with millionaires. The Senate is filled with millionaires. These are people who have more money than most Americans will see in their entire life. Yes. And these are the people that are making decisions for us. And they have no idea how we live. These are the people, by the way, who sat in their comfortable chairs on Capitol Hill laughing at a CDC prediction of 1.7 million laughing and saying, Oh, it's just going to be the sick or the old. And that's our family because here's the thing too. The people who have underlying health conditions are the poor are the lower income people who live in communities that have been polluted and discarded they're more likely to have conditions that will make them more susceptible to diseases. They are the ones, we are the ones who are going to be suffering most because Donald Trump was too busy looking at the stock market with glee, trying to artificially suppress the number of outbreaks in this country around the coronavirus. We're the ones gonna, that are gonna lose our jobs. We're the ones that are going to have to figure out what to do with our kids for 30 days isolated in a home. We're the ones that are going to have to figure out where we're going to get our next meal. I already have friends who are small business owners who went and applied for our food stamps today because they know it's unlikely that their business is going to survive this. Right. So we're talking about that. And you know what? Those people sitting in Congress with all their money, they may be hurting because now their 401k and their retirement fund is down some, but they're not going to feel it like us. They're not. And that's why I'm fighting. That's why I'm fighting for this ballot petition. I know that we have so many other things to think about. I know. I know. And there's a part of me that feels embarrassed that I'm that this is the piece of that I'm fighting for. But trust when I say that I'm fighting for that so that I can get on this ballot and fight for you, the people in Southwest Florida, the people across this country, the people who are going to be hurt by this inept administration and by the corruption that it has bred and by the cronies that have been put in place and the rest of Congress. And trust when I say I will hold them accountable because there is no way that I'm coming out of this, any of this, without that fight to speak truth to power. That's why I'm here. That is my purpose. That's why I'm running because this has got to stop. This has got to stop. Whew. 
I'm going to get down off my soapbox now, Eddie. So I'm about ready to wrap it up here for tonight. I think this is uh, a long enough uh, diatribe on this for me today. Is there any final thoughts on any, either just, you know, the your perspective on the coronavirus or on this whole ballot uh, initiative campaign that we're waging? Well, the ballot petition initiative is incredibly important. We want as many candidates at this point, Republican or Democrat, uh, anybody out there, uh, any candidate out there who is willing to sign on to this campaign, highly encouraging you to sign on because it's not just Democrats, it's not just Republicans that are being hurt by this, it's everybody. Um, And it is fundamental to democracy for anybody to go on the ballot instead of having these ridiculous paywalls. even if you make the 5,000 petitions, you still have to pay 10 cents a ballot, which to me is ridiculous. Uh, it's not encouraging to democracy itself. So I really would encourage Governor DeSantis to rethink the deadline and rethink the petitions themselves. Um, in terms of coronavirus, uh, social distancing, everybody time. stay safe. Eddie, anything else? Sorry. Uh, no, that's it. Thanks. All right. Good. So, and I, I will say by, um, if you are a candidate or know a candidate in any race in the state of Florida, any party that would like to sign on to our letter, I encourage you to uh, email me. That's vote, V-O-T-E, at cindybanier.com. That's C-I-N-D-Y, B as in boy, A-N as in Nancy, Y-A-I. Com. So you can email me, uh, let me know that you want to sign on, and we'll get you show you the letter, and you can sign right on, and we'll add it on, and we'll just keep hitting it home to Governor DeSantis that, that he needs to do this for our public health and also for our democracy. Um, so thank you so much for joining me here. Also, if you are interested in learning more about the, the work that Eddie and I have been doing on the campaign to flip Florida 19, you can check us out at my website at cindybanier.com. So that's C-I-N-D-Y, B as in boy, A-N as in Nancy, Y-A-I.com. You can see all about um, the policies and plans that I have in place. You can see about our supporters. You can, of course, donate to the campaign if you have that capacity. We absolutely would love and need that now more than ever. We are on Act Blue in that respect as well. And we also have our podcast there. So you will be able to see this recording as well as all of our other episodes on the podcast page. And we integrated our new swag website there. So If you'd like to get yourself a shirt or backpack or anything else where all the proceeds will go to support our campaign, you can absolutely check that out as well as our regular blogs that have all of the news and information, including our press releases on the website. So without further ado, I'm going to say good night and thank you so much for listening in and hope to talk to you soon. We are working to make a Southwest Florida where the sun shines on everyone. Have a good night.